0: G'day, boys, and welcome to The Coach and Tex. Man, this is a very, very special episode. It's it's a weekend edition of The Coach and Tex. Welcome. Hello, Shane-O. Tex, Turtle, what's going on, boys? Tex, uh, it's great to be here again.
1: Uh, I've lost count. We've done so many of these podcasts. What number are we up to, Turtle? It,
0: it's episode 12, Shane. 12. Richo, Richo's number. Richo? Yeah,
1: I would yeah. have thought maybe maybe Dennis Banks or somebody like that.
0: No, we knocked him out a few a while back there, mate. All right, he's he's travelling yeah. on the bus at the moment, so we're not yeah. sure
1: where. Yeah. Thanks for
2: he is. Hey, great to be with you both. I'm genuinely excited tonight. This is a ripping episode. This one. This is very yeah. special, as Bruce would say.
0: Yeah, this, and it's only a few days after we, we we've we've run our uh, our usual midweek midweek episode. But um, we won't waste too much time because this one's. Uh, as we said, a special edition. It's almost like when you used to buy those albums way back in the 70s and the 80s and you'd get us, you know, like an EP special that would come with it. Well, that's exactly like what what's happened here. But hopefully we'll go a little bit better than our one earlier in the season when, when we had Choco Williams on board, mate, because, mmm, suffice to say, the, the reaction to Choco there, Shano, mmm.
1: So yeah, we, might have beat, to we need get to get into those room
0: of mirrors. We need to be 88 listens with this special interviewee. <laughs> Shut the gate! Come on, uh, that's right. What do you reckon, Tex? Well, okay,
2: I, I, I'm okay. I'm just thinking about will we surpass previous listens for this episode? And I can't get on on the Sportsbet account. I cannot get on. It's
1: unbackable because this guest is going to blow everyone away. Well, based on your form, well, I'd rather you not have a bet on Sportsbet uh, because it will be a loser. So you just keep your bets and your thoughts together to yourself. Thank you.
0: <laughs> so, so rather than the traditional um, entree into welcoming a guest who bring in shortly, um, I'm going to run with a, 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 a sort of like an old Tony Barber, "Who am I?" Uh, type type scenario. So, um, r- work with me here, Tex. Uh, who am I? I'm a female broadcaster who most recently has worked at both Channel 9 and Fox Footy. Uh, I also oh, well, just no, check no, your mate. buzzer you can't answer check already. your buzzer text uh, please. <laughs> could, could you check your buzzer? Could you check your buzzer text? Um I'm not sure she's expecting this type of entree so just just work with me mate. Um she was born in uh, born and bred in WA, did all of her education in WA a sporting-related family as well, so something that you'd be aware of, Shane, um, but really um, has been over in the East um, here in, in Melbourne for over 10 years now and has forged a very nice niche um, within the media space over here. Um, she most recently started her own podcast, uh, and this is probably the giveaway Hey, Shano, it's ordinarily speaking. Can you even work that out? Okay, I right? can, but there's something wrong with my buzzer. It gives the opportunity for text to buzz in. <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna get her on the line. I don't think we're gonna be playing playing with the old um, sorry, mate, I, I just stuffed your joke up. We're not gonna be playing with <laughs> we're not gonna be playing with the old um, let me ring ring the phone three times and see if she answers because she, we've been working remotely. We're on Zoom, and she's joining us uh, via Zoom and through our tricky little um, podcast technology. So, um, so it's just about time to introduce her. What do you I reckon, am Max?
2: genuinely excited. I'm a fan of this person, and I can't wait to hear what she's got to say.
0: Yeah, well, we already introduced her, so you don't need to talk about her in the third person, mate. It's, uh, without further ado, it's narrowly Meadows, and we'll, we'll bring her on now. Well, we're really excited to have our first bona fide guest on the Coach and Tex, and we've been talking about this amongst the three of us for a little while. Um, for our audience, which is burgeoning by the week, um, today we'd like to welcome Neryli Meadows, who most of you would be familiar with, with her work, probably most recently on Fox Footy, um, but also um, through mainstream media and her her new podcast, I guess, Ordinarily Speaking. So we're really pleased to have Neraleigh join us today. Welcome.
3: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Welcome, oh, Neraleigh. Glad to have you on board. <laughs> Neralee, um tell us how you're coping with um, ISO, because as we were, we were saying in the prelude, the technology and the gremlins of us trying to record this podcast um, from three different little home studios has been a challenge. How, how are you coping with everything? Everything.
3: I'm very impressed with the setup that you guys have have managed to create here. Um, I'm yeah, hats off to you. It's very impressive indeed. I I've sort of taken a back seat on the the whole podcasting thing throughout coronavirus because. My um, technique tends to be more face-to-face and more subtle um, sort of interaction with people. So I sort of decided to put it to the, to the side for this. But people like you, full of admiration for the fact that you, you're giving it a go and giving it a crack uh, at a time like
0: this. Well, we've got a, um, a reference person called the Work Experience Kid who doubles up as my son and he's the one who's pretty much in, uh, introduced us to the technology and, <laughs> and shall we say the confidence to do this remotely, which we've been... That's
3: oh, what I'm, sons are good for, isn't oh, it? No
0: he's, no, he's a good son. He does okay. So um, now you, you grew up in Perth um, and I know you studied, studied in Perth. So how are you finding... Uh, I know you've referenced... I've seen a little bit on Twitter about your reference around needing to and trying to stay connected with the family back in Perth. How are you coping... I guess, in that environment where really we're, we're housebound at the moment.
3: Yeah, all my family are in Perth. I've got one brother in Sydney. Um, I grew up originally in a country town called Collie, which is a little coal mining town. So community was always really important to me um, and the sense of family and um, and I think that's why my love of sport sort of came through at such an early age. Um, just grew up on a little hobby farm with um, dad dad had a farming background before then um becoming a doctor so we had this amazing upbringing so to be cooped up in in a house in an apartment here in Melbourne I know I'm a lot luckier than a lot of people you know I really like my place and I'm close to um you know the St Kilda beaches and things like that so at least I can get out and get some fresh air but it's certainly been enormously challenging the last few months um all of my work this year was overseas. So everything was obviously cancelled with coronavirus. Um, So, you know, that was a big blow, but also, you know, the the financial impact of that, the career impact of that, all of that sort of thing. So to sort of cope with everything, I enrolled uh, in a short course at university to study mental health and counselling just to keep my mind ticking over really and to give me a daily focus and, Get back to some academia, which has um, been really nice and kind of nice to study for fun rather than um, you know worrying too much about grades and things. Although I'm still really competitive with myself, um, but yeah, it's it's been really tough because I live alone and I don't have family in um, in Melbourne, so it's definitely um, it's been an, a time where if I don't pick myself up, no one else is going to. There's only so much that people can do from afar. Um, so yeah, it's been definitely a challenging few months, but, um, I think for everyone to varying degrees, they're impacted by it.
0: Yeah. Uh, go Troy.
3: Sorry,
2: Neroli, in your, you can just sense the passion that comes through. You talk openly about health and wellbeing already here in this segment and, and through your podcast. I just wondered, did you always have a passion for mental health or was there a, an event or a time in your life where it just brought it to the forefront for you?
3: yeah my mum is essentially a psychologist so she was she was a GP a general practitioner um, but she ended up veering into mental health so she um, you know had a what was it like 35 40 year career in um, as essentially as a, as a psych um, and as I said in a country town like that was so challenging dad being a GP mum being the psych knowing all the people knowing all the intricacies and and everything and and then raising two kids with such an awareness of everything that was going on in the community so from a really young age I was um, brought up with the power of reframing and um, you know, positive thinking and all those sorts of things, and and just a real awareness of of mental health and, and resilience. So, um, I, I worked out it was about ten years ago that I realised I'd been self analysing since I was about seven years old. So I was a bit exhausted by it, but and when you're really super aware, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone else is. So, um, but it's definitely always been a passion for me. Um, and it was always something that I thought potentially I could go into as a, as a career, whether it was a second career, potentially as, you know, a sports psychologist, um, because I think I've got a fairly good insight into what it's like to, um, be in the public eye and performance and those sort of things and, um, yeah, whether it was a, a second career that I could potentially help, you know, 18 year old footballers coming through or um, whether it was just something that I always just took an interest in and, and did a lot of stories on, you know, with regards to mental health, because I think sport is provides a really powerful platform for social inclusion and um you know, social change and, and when athletes talk about things publicly, uh, it paves the way for blokes like you to have conversations about it or, or you know, my female friends or whoever it is. It, it just opens the door, I think, for the discussion and I think sport can be a really powerful tool. So I definitely have always tried to sort of combine those those two passions.
0: And it it actually comes across, I think, in the pod, in the podcast. So that was... A good segue to to maybe talk a little bit about ordinarily speaking, which I think is a fantastic name, by the way. <laughs> Thank so you. a great piece of marketing um, around that one, narrowly. But um, the it was no, no, really no, you got to yeah. use it right. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm try- still trying to work out how to use Zarin, but anyway, uh, that's another <laughs> story.
3: The
0: the oh um <laughs> the I think what was really interesting uh, it comes across listening is like a natural empathy and understanding and. I care like so the two interviews that I really uh, zeroed in on from the, the podcast were the ones with peter siddle and and Dale Thomas, and they both had a familiar sort of tone around alcoholism and growing up and um, and, and 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 it's really interesting because we spoke about some stuff in the I guess in the wake of Shane Tuck's passing a few weeks ago and how men generally handle those sort of situations, and then we also observed your, yours and your colleagues' work on on the mark. And in a lot of cases, you're interviewing male sportsmen in that, in those sort of um, scenarios, and the ability to actually extract information. I think, we we've often discussed women seem to do that so much better than men, and you had a natural affinity for it. So tell us a little bit about how uh, what the driver was for the podcast, and and then how. That whole experience from perhaps the show led into into the podcast.
3: Yeah, thank you. I as I've always just been passionate about storytelling, and and my engagement with sport was through investment in stories. Um, and I think that's the case with a lot of people. If you care about the people involved and you know about their stories, you're more inclined to to tune into the sporting event. I think, you know, we saw that in, really clearly with the Australian cricket team. Uh, you know, that it's their, our only national team in many regards because the rest of the country is sort of split between um, rugby league and and. Aussie rules so you know the national cricket team um it was so important to us but I think through a lot of what happened there was a disengagement there um and I think through the last couple of years they've worked really hard at at re-engaging and sharing their personal stories making them relatable making them um you know yeah like having an, an identity again and and being able to connect with them as human to human and that's always been my um, my way of or my approach to journalism is that I always said that I was a human first, journal second. They were human first, sports person second. Um, and there are different forms of journalism. I think there's a lot of different approaches to it. Obviously, investigative journalism is is really important, and holding people accountable is really important. But I think there needs to be those those varying aspects. And for me, in journalism. Um, you know, we saw a really great uh, example of that with the Robert Muir story and Rusty Jackson on, on ABC. He, he Through his journalism, he's helped change a life and and inspire a lot of other people. And to me, that's the best kind of journalism because it's, it's creating a better community and a better um, place and a, a more awareness. And it was a harrowing story, but the accountability that it drives and the recognition and all those sorts of things you know, has a inverted commas happy ending. Um, and that's the same approach that I've always taken with my journalism and I, I just think that the importance of that, like I say, we've got a public platform and if these people are happy to share their stories, um, why why not, you know, if they're happy to be vulnerable and I, I sort of say that vulnerability breeds strength and, um, and you know, and setbacks breed empathy. And I think the more we share our own stories, the more people go, oh, that's what I've been through and more inclined to then share their own. So, for example, you mentioned Peter Siddle. Um, I sort of became mates with him over the years and even I didn't really understand the full extent of what he had been through. Um, and when he spoke about his alcoholism and everything that had happened, um, you know, I got a huge amount of feedback on on that, and and he also found it cathartic as well to be able to openly talk about it for the first time. You know, that old problem shared is a problem halved. Yeah. Um, and there was one bit of correspondence that I got that I often refer to, uh, which is my real motivation for for sharing these stories. It was a, a young bloke who said. That he had recently he identified um, and related to a lot of the stuff that that Sids was referring to, you know, the the practical sort of storytelling and and things that he was coming up against, and he said that he had recently gone to a family function where his family didn't understand his decision to stop drinking, and that his family was sort of teasing him and pressuring him into into drinking again, and he said I listened to the Siddle podcast and. he he, in his words it was the podcast I needed to hear right now he said it gave him strength to not only continue with what he was doing but also it provided a resource to say to his family this is how I feel (laughs) yes I'm not a test player you know yes these are different um circumstances but it encapsulates how I feel and what I'm experiencing so you know you can listen to that and then come to me and ask me the questions that that you want to ask and I think Providing a sort of resource like that is pretty cool to open up conversations um, with families. So that was, you know, that is a long-winded answer, but that was that's my motivation. I think I get frustrated a little bit with the erring on the side of negativity with with a lot of journalism. And as as I say, some of it is super important, obviously holding people accountable. But at the end of the day, sports people are not criminals; they're sports people. Um, then you know it's not like holding politicians accountable or, or criminals accountable. They're, they're sports people who who entertain us, yeah. so they are you know humans, and and it's okay
0: to see them as humans. Yeah, it, it, it's fascinating. Oh, go on, Shane, you go. Oh, just
1: just in relation to the podcast and your um your you mentioned about sports psychology as such, and maybe that's a field you may into. Um, is your podcast? a shape and form of psychology anyway. And, you know, it's, it's majority is sports people, but, you know, listen to that Peter Siddle one and Zoran, you referred it before, like uh, women communicate better than men and open up about things. And I think uh, men tend to open up more directly to women as well versus a male as such. So do you view it as a bit of psychology and, and, and how is that journey on the podcast opened up your potential pathways for the future.
3: Yeah, I would never say that I'm a psychologist or that I'm trained in it or anything like that. And I would never want to misrepresent myself as that. But I think I've always been a really good listener and I think I have the um, ability to create a space where people feel comfortable. And um, I'd like to think I'm a pretty empathetic person so they feel like they can talk free of judgment. Um, And I think so much of um of my style is less is more um so it's that Richie Benno approach of just give the space and give the silence for somebody to say what they want to say um because I think so much um so many people's sort of styles is to tell you everything they know um and that's I think the best way of of getting these sorts of stories out anyway is just giving them you know a subtle nudge and um, and giving them the space to to share what they want to share and trying to keep them on on track obviously but um, and I guess a lot of that is you know terminology related to to mental health and mental wellbeing and like I said I'm sort of lucky that I was brought up in an environment that I was very aware of um, you know various different aspects of of mental health and and resilience and overcoming adversity um so it definitely helps in in that way and um yeah but i i would never sort of propose to be an expert in in the field i'm studying it but it's only a short course at the moment so. yeah and that
1: wasn't the intent but it is it's it, in yeah. some shape or form it is a bit of that where you, you, you sort of uh, delve in, in sure. I into I hope it some people hear it yeah. and think because
3: because people, for example, Moses Henriquez is talking about his diagnosis and the things that he put in place. Mm. So I hope that some people who perhaps are suffering from the similar symptoms hear it and think, oh, that's me. I should go to my doctor, maybe get prescribed, you know, antidepressants or therapy or whatever it is. So I definitely hope in that sort of form it, it is a bit of a sort of mental health podcast. Yeah,
1: and I think the more... um you have that Richie Bennett silence as such. The more you listen is the more you hear. And I certainly think that, you know, by you actually allowing that for your guest, the more we're gonna actually we're gonna hear about their stories and they'll they'll dig deeper. Um, consciously or subconsciously, that's what they do. It's amazing.
3: Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's um so many people um listen to respond instead of listening to hear yes. and yes. understand. Mm. Um and I think if everyone in the world actually just listened to hear and understand, we would be much better
0: off. I absolutely agree. Did, did you have a favourite guest?
3: I can't pick favourites. We've
0: got to break a story here. We've got to break a story. No, I
3: didn't I didn't have a fa- I, I really loved the, the SIDS one because I was really proud of him mm-hmm. um, and there was a real... Um, heaviness in the room throughout it, and I think we were both a bit surprised by how full on it it got. Um, so I was really proud of him for putting himself in that place. Like as as Will I went on Will Anderson's podcast Philosophy, and as he put it, he was like, "Sids, what are you doing? You got away with it, mate. <laughs> like, stop talking about it." Um, so I'm never um, take for granted the fact that people choose to. Um, to share their stories with me. But I think Sabrina Duffy is one that I I often refer to. She's the young AFLW player for for Frio and um, she was the youngest guest I had, uh, 19 years old at the time of recording, and I'd never actually met her before recording this episode. Um, But her story is one of tremendous strength. Um, Both of her parents have been in and out of jail with drug addiction um, and, what she has overcome in a life of foster care is just tremendous um, and the support that she received from her foster family, I think it's testament to how a sense of belonging and, and love can um, can really change somebody's life path um, and, you know, and, and how much just trying to recognise what somebody needs and being that person and you don't need to necessarily be the mother, the father, the brother, the whatever if you recognise something in someone reaching out, you can have a, a real impact on their life.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Neroli, um I just was going to jump off that point for a sec and talk a little bit about you, if, if you didn't mind. If I could take you back three years ago, um, it appeared from the outside you had the world at your feet, you're working with um, Fox, covering footy, basketball, cricket, um, working for Triple M as well, and then be fair to say you've had a couple of setbacks yourself career-wise along the way, um, how would you describe your dealing with that and, and the processes that you went through based on what you knew and I guess what you'd learned in talking to others? I'm, I'm sure you've had some tough times over the last three years.
3: Yeah, through this um, through this last six months, I sort of have come up with the slogan, just keep talking, just keep walking um I think continuing to talk to people when you don't feel like you should is really important um or if you feel like you know you're just a downer on everyone all the time like it's really important to just keep talking um and just keep walking it's super important to to just actually keep exercising no matter how much you don't want to and how much you're up against it um that's definitely in the last sort of six months before that I mean adversity has come my way but I never wanted I never wanted to not do something out of a fear of failure and I've been like that my whole life if the reason why you don't want to do something is because you are scared of failing that's a terrible reason um people fail it happens you know you you go again um you can't empathize with people unless you've been through stuff you can't um, feel a sense of achievement unless things were challenging and difficult. So, you know, you can't have the good without the bad essentially. And it, it is a really tough industry um, and especially for, for you know, women and, and it, the world is still very gendered. Um, and so things may not be as obvious as they once were, but they still exist. Um, you know, there's, there are more women on TV now but there's still far fewer than men and behind the scenes there's stuff all female um, sports producers or executives um, and that's not because girls don't like sport. Yeah. Um, the ones that are there, I, you know, I take my hats off to to how resilient they are um, and how passionate they are about what they do for a living to to persist, um, yeah. And so, I, I try to I try to be proud more than embarrassed or ashamed or any of those sorts of things because I think sometimes people expect you to be embarrassed if something doesn't work out. And I'm like, well, why? I gave it a crack in the first place. <laughs> like, I'd rather be the person that gives it a crack than, you know, than hiding away because I was scared that it wasn't going to work out. Um, and I think, you know, in times where you think, oh, it hasn't worked out or whatever, you look at the people around you and the experiences that you've had and the relationships that you've built. And, I, you know, I've been so fortunate and I've worked really hard um, to have all those, those relationships, and at the end of the day, they are actually what, what matters, the experiences and the, and the relationships. And I think one of, you know, social media gets a super bad rap and, and rightly so in many, many cases. In my case, I, like, thank goodness for, for social media, the amount of love and support that I've got from people in the public who I've never met before, um, has been enormous and it's definitely kept me going sometimes because your family and your friends have to care about you and, and reach out, right? Strangers don't. Right. So the fact that people have taken the time to reach out and, um, and support me, it means to me that I have produced content that has connected with them um, and therefore it aligns with my values as a person. So sometimes you don't you shouldn't care what strangers think. In my case, I think it aligns with how I feel or value about my life and myself, and therefore it, it is important what strangers think. Um, so I would like to think that people see that I've gone through adversity and think I've handled it okay um, rather than think, oh, God, she's fallen from grace. And, and mm. did you
2: did you have... Um... Obviously,
3: it sounds like you have had
2: support and still do have support and not necessarily sharing who that may be. But do you feel supported now? You know, if, if things weren't going so great and you are having a bad day, you'd be comfortable to be able to pick up the phone and ring a person or people? Do you feel like you have a good support network, I guess is my question?
3: Yeah, for sure. I've got one of the great support networks. I think one of the funny things about being single is um, – Whilst you don't necessarily have a person there in that moment to to say, you know, stop saying negative things about yourself or it's, you know, it doesn't matter if you've lost that job, you're still a great person or whatever it is. There's no one to catch those thoughts in the moment. Um, but by virtue of being single, you spend a lot more time with a lot more different people and build a lot more relationships. so. Um, especially in this time, I'm. I it never ceases to amaze me how many people check in every single day on me, and it will be, you know, it's like sometimes it, it's somebody in the public eye, like an AFL coach. Other times it's just a mate that I grew up with, um, and I I think that's pretty special. But um, yeah, like everyone, family, friends, I'm I'm really lucky that my um, both of my brothers um, had experience in in, you know, ambition and 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 challenges and failure and all those sorts of things. One of my brothers played hockey for Australia and the other one um, is an actor. So they're both really cutthroat challenging um, industries and so it's really nice to have big brothers that understand the nature of that. Um, and also, you know, I've got a counsellor that I, I go and see. I think everyone should have one <laughs> really, no matter what you've been through. Um, Yeah, but and and obviously, you know, my mum as well, I talk to pretty often. So, um, yeah, I think support networks are hugely important. And
0: and what about from a a mentor or role model for you? Is there someone who, you know, maybe um, attracted you to parts of the profession or you thought, gee, I I really like the way uh, she's conducted, particularly from a female perspective? Uh, And, you know, not not a male role model, although it may have been, but um, uh, in terms of talking up from a female perspective, narrowly?
3: Yeah, from a local point of view, Joe Griggs and and Karen Ty were super important for me um, as a a young kid um, because they were two of the only female voices in sport when I was a a kid. So we've definitely come a long way, but we've got a long way to go. Um, And then on a more um, broader scale, and people often laugh when I say this, but Oprah was huge for me as a kid. Um, She... I think is one of the most underrated interviewers in the world from the pure aspect of her style of interviewing. She knows when to pause, knows when to go harder, knows when to pull back, knows when to be empathetic, knows when to actually go, no, hang on, cut the crap here. Um, she 's unbelievable, and my mum and I often joke about the fact that mum 's glad that she didn 't um, stop me from watching so much Oprah as a kid um because I actually did get an enormous amount um from it, and you know a strong female and uh, you know you talk like reflect on it now um, as a, a strong single black female um like that's amazing. What she's achieved is just mind blowing, really. Um, so I think, yeah, what what Oprah did for me in my formative years was huge. She'll never know it, um, but yeah. And I think that's also important to remember. You can have an impact on people's lives without being a parent necessarily, or, or you know, you can still have um, a profound impact on on your corner of the globe.
0: Um, if I if I can just slightly change tack, so um, on the mark which you did with I think Kelly Underwood and and Sarah Jones. Now that that show also, uh, now, I don't know if that coincided with when you left Fox at the end of that particular footy season, whether that show ended in the same year. Um, but well, what's what's your view there? Because I, I thought that's something that filled a gap that we probably don't see a lot of. Um, it gave us the chance to to see. Uh, some players in different ways. And I know that there's feature interviews and other bits and pieces that, that are occurring, but um, can you tell us a little bit about how that show came about and maybe um, if you've got some insight as to why something like that's not still going to the same degree um, in that particular environment?
3: Yeah, so it came about – so there was League Life um, for NRL and that that was about – and then they decided to do a similar version for Um, for Fox Footy and it was um, we we created our own style and our own version but basically it was an opportunity to tell human stories and there was clearly an appetite from the public and there was clearly um, motivation from the players to be more human, be more vulnerable, help inspire change and also just I think remind people that hey just quietly we are human you don't necessarily know everything that's going on in our lives when we go out and run around and um and play footy um so I think it was you know it was really important for that and also I love the fact that we focus not necessarily on the biggest names but the best stories um so someone like a Benny Crocker um you know, became a, a much more well-known name because everyone empathised with how strong he was talking about his dad with dementia. Um, you know, Hugh Greenwood talking about losing his mum to, to cancer. These sort of stories really resonated with people, and I think it was kind of nice that we created this little um, family that people almost started going through, going for players who had, you know, appeared on On The Mark even though they weren't on their team yeah. <laughs> because they knew their, their backstory, um, which was really special. So I love the fact that we had a, a platform and space, time and space to, to tell those sorts of stories and that players trusted us um, to share them. Um, I am no longer at Fox, so I can't speak to why they got rid of the show.
0: Okay.
2: Is it, is it different narrowly, for females um, today to be successful in the industry? So if you take away that argument that doesn't stack up around having played the game, if you're measuring the success of Anthony Hudson versus Bruce McAvaney versus someone making a decision on narrowly Meadows versus Kelly Underwood, do you feel it's the same criteria or, or do you feel like, Females, particularly in AFL, there's a different layer of assessment and complexity. I guess, is it one size fits all or is it still very different for women?
3: It's definitely still very different for women um, because, I mean, AFLW or... NRLW or whatever it is, they've only been around for a few years. It's only just recent times that women were forced to give up footy at 13 years of age if they were given the opportunity to play at all. When I was a kid, I was the only girl on the um, soccer team. Um, footy wasn't even, it wasn't even raised as an option or cricket. Like I played it in the backyard with my with my family, but it wasn't even, it wasn't on the, t- it wasn't that it, I couldn't do it, but it wasn't even a consideration. Um, and and I think we're still so we've still got such a long way to go in, until those sorts of inequalities don't exist from birth. Um, you know, I, I I talk about things like I, it was my dad is super inclusive, but it was just a different time, yeah. and so you you just assumed that young girls weren't interested in sport until they said they were. Whereas boys were sort of having these conversations straight away, getting the footy gear bought for them a, as a baby, and and all these sorts of things, and then you'd go, you know boys would go to school, and then they'd be encouraged to play sport, and then if you're a, if you're a boy that goes to a private all boys school, odds are you're going to end up playing with a few boys that go on to play AFL, that you've got a, a, a you know social capital that connects you to a lot of other powerful men. Um, who are more than likely executive somewhere and then all of a sudden there's so much social capital that I, just by being a, a woman I've, I've missed completely. Yeah. Um, and that is changing because we're no longer actively discouraging girls for liking you know from liking sport and, and we're actively encouraging them. So I think it's a wonderful thing. My my eight-year-old niece loves footy and, and plays it and you know Unfortunately, she, she's still the only um, girl on the team uh, on Saturdays. But on Friday night, she's got her own girls team as well and plays with them. But my brother sent me a video of her kicking a goal, at you know, taking a great mark and kicking a goal against all the boys. And I start crying because I'm just like, you know, we have come a really long way and she's got AFLW Dockers players on footy cards and, you know, she thinks that Cara Antonio is, is just the greatest thing in the world because Cara's, taken time out to to support, um, you know, Miller in, in her love of footy and um, and organised for Miller on her eighth birthday to run out onto Optus Oval for the first ever Western um, Derby for, for women. And she's the little mascot running through the banner and can see what she wants to be. And I just sit there going, how good is that? Like we are, we have come a long way and hopefully that generation, not just the girls, but the fact that my niece has three younger brothers who love footy because their big sister loves footy and their auntie's on TV talking about it. So for them, it's like the world is completely changed compared to what you guys grew up with. Um, so I really hope that that does change. But like I say, we need more change behind the scenes. We need to encourage women, give them a sense of belonging, um, you know, empower them, ask them what it's actually like for them in the industry, listen to the answers, Um and and create a space where, you know, it it is actually equal and not just talk because we've been talking about it my whole life. I'm about to turn 35 and and it's got me reflecting a little bit of, um, yeah, we were sort of told we can do anything, but can we, like, we've still got such a long way to go. So um, you can hear I get quite passionate talking about it, but um, I I would love to see a space where it's just no longer even a topic of conversation.
1: I think it's exciting that, um, you know, women in sport is at the stage it's at. I mean, you mentioned if you go back, you know, for the three of us when we were younger and our kids were younger, um, it's something that, you know, call it passed down by generation to generation, a learnt behaviour, a learnt reaction, whatever you want to refer to is like, yeah. I've got a daughter and two boys, like, and daughter being the oldest, I would never have thought to say, oh, Ash, would you like to play footy? Whereas yeah. the boys, you know, Maddie into footy, Ben footy or basketball, or whatever. But I never thought about actually playing footy or other than playing netball, for example. Um, and
3: if you're bringing them up now, you have a different approach, right? Correct,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think it's is that um, shifting of our thought process about what is available for everyone, as you said, whether born a male, born a female, it doesn't matter. Here's the sport. Would you like to play it? Would you like to be yeah. involved? And I think that shift has started. Which you can hear in the excitement in your voice, uh, which is great, but I think we see it at the same time I mean Nepal I think those that they're super athletes in Nepal I just love watching them play, but they're now starting to get recognized they start you know television rights all that sort of stuff so i th- I think it's happening there's, yes there's definitely more to shift uh, to make it a more balanced world as such but i I love what i'm seeing right now it's 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 just super i think it's it's the start of a new generation that you know, we might not see the real benefit to to young women coming through for another 10, 15, 20 years, but I think it's heading that path and I think that's the exciting thing.
3: Absolutely, and it's an awareness of it and um, accepting No, I'm not blaming you for not talking to your daughter about it, do you know what I mean? But it's the awareness now of, oh, okay, I get it. Um, and, you know, I was lucky I grew up with both of my grandmothers loved sport. My mama loved sport. So I had really strong women who were super into sport right from, from day dot. But this awareness of just how gendered things still are and I think I, I say that when somebody speaks up, um, it's not because it's the first time that it's happened. It's because they hope it's the last and whether that's because you're marginalised because of your race, your sex, whatever it is, when people finally say, this is what it's like for me, and then people shut them down, it is, it's is—it's really tremendously hard to then get the, the courage to speak up again. And I talk about things like toilets, because toilets are often the easiest way of explaining how different it is for a girl compared to a boy in the sense that there's been numerous times across my career where I've had to ask for the, um, and not super often, but there has been a number of occasions where I've had to ask for the for the female toilets to be unlocked or whether, you know, there's only one unisex toilet and because there's so many more blokes, it's just gross by the end of the day or, you know, showers that exist for the men that don't exist for the women. And just because men wouldn't be aware that that's the case because you've never been confronted by it doesn't mean it doesn't happen.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you've seen it cancels. So I've coached a local football club here for for nine years, seniors as such, and we've just had our change rooms updated to cater for not only women players, um, young girl players as well, but female umpires, whether they're field, goal or boundary, whatever the case might be. So just the concept again about, a bit like us with our kids, same with yeah. councils. They've not even th- thought about the actual women being involved, the young women being involved with sport. It, yeah, it, and it's so just
3: crazy. as a young girl, it's we've been told either um, outright or inferred, you can't do this. Yeah, correct. Um, and to flip that around and suddenly be told you can um, and we hear you is hugely important and I can't, Um, overestimate how
1: important that is. Yeah, and I think again about shifting our mindsets about male versus female, and I'll go back to the coaching of young men that I've I've did for the previous nine years, is that um, being involved with the netball club as well, we're intertwined as such. There's no reason why I couldn't go and coach a netball team, because as you said before, it's the human aspect of this. Doesn't matter if it's male or female. Coaching is coaching. Interacting, having a connection with people is exactly that. So help, you know, support and develop them. And I think the pathways for for lots of women these days will be impacted by men's decisions from a corporate level as such and a career level, but also at sporting at sporting levels. Um, men should be involved with the development of the women, especially from an AFL point of view, because it it's been. Pulled out of the under the feet of these women for such a long period of time that no, the can't thing you can't play that because you're a female. Well, no, I can play it. Let's let's open up the doors. But I think the next level of coaches, I think coaches with that experience at football should get involved with the women as well and, and help develop them.
3: Yeah, spot on. And I think people get a real sense of um, joy and um, and you know actually contributing to their community as well when they do that. I, I think a lot of men, you know, especially in the AFLW, a lot of the men that got involved sort of got involved to start with because they thought it was the right thing to do and they walked away going, oh, I got more out of that than the girls did. <laughs> like that was an amazing experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just mindful of time uh, for you, narrowly just in terms of just uh, what's next because I know you mentioned... You had some opportunities overseas, and I think that also, in terms of the topic area that we've just been talking about, I mean, if you have a look at the NBA and what women are doing in terms of um, cutting a path for in coaching uh, of the men um, in in the NBA as opposed to the WNBA, I know that you um, you did something that was on my bucket list, which is go to a uh, go to a Super Bowl. So I saw. So sometimes one door closes, another opportunity. Opens, was the overseas thing something around just broadening the horizons or is it just opportunity that just happened to come at the right time?
3: A bit of both, really. Um, Yeah, this year I know we've been shut down for six months, but I did the Super Bowl, uh, did the Australian Open ATP Cup, the Women's Cricket World Cup here, um, and was due to go to the Indian Premier League and then had a few other bits and pieces locked in um, overseas. So it was sort of shaping as as a real dream year um for me and I I kind of now at this point in my career want to do things that um are experiences and and you know bringing a a great deal of sort of joy to life I guess and working with people who um you know who are good people and and really want to work with me and I think if any environment gives you that in in your working life it's really hard to complain (laughs) So, um, I'll wait and see, like everyone, how the world sort of shapes up from here and, and where to go from here. But um, yeah, it was definitely shaping as a really, really exciting year.
2: Hey, Neroli, we, we,
3: we can't let you
2: go without you giving us your, your views on, on the current season. So, you're a Frio supporter, as I understand it. So, I'm interested in how you are finding that. But, um, what's your views on on you know how the season's going to pan out and who's going to win the flag what, what are your observations and thoughts on the next kind of two months
3: of afl i mean hats off to everyone at the afl for even getting the season going and the amount of you know stress and everything that they've been under from the, the players to the coaches to the hierarchy to, you know, people behind the scenes. It's it's pretty epic. But um, from a Freo point of view, I'm pretty excited. This is the most excited I've been about a crop of kids since sort of oh eight, oh nine, ten 09, 10 era when it was, um, you know, Stephen Hill, Nat Fife, Morabito, who obviously didn't go on but was a genuine, you know, star if he didn't do his knee 800 times. Um, So we had a lot of really great kids and I feel like that now. I can see, I I can watch and go, okay, I I get where we're heading now. Um, JL seems like a really great bloke in my interactions with him. So, yeah, pretty excited about where Freo are at. And, um, yeah, it's a a weird old year. And I just think given that the rest of the season is going to be played up in Queensland, I reckon the Lions and and Fags' boys will maybe be pretty tough to beat. Uh, given the environment that they've got up there, but it's it's a weird one. I just yeah it feels like one out of the box for what could happen. Um,
0: yeah, and then, you know, a club like Richmond, for example,
3: can they win it outside of the MCG? I don't know. Haven't
0: have <laughs> lost in haven't lost in Queensland for about uh, ten years. Nearly um, just, yeah, just quite so that would be Justin. the next thing that they're all whinging about, right? Is why we play our last <laughs> seven games at Metricon. Um, but um, yeah, well, stay tuned. Uh, I think I think the other team, um, West Coast, is um is an interesting one too. I mean, they've had a fantastic patch. Whether they can maintain that now for the last seven or eight weeks, I think that's timings everything when it comes to this part of the season, isn't it? Spot on. Um, and what about cricket? I mean, you're pretty passionate about that. How's that all looking for the upcoming season? I mean, you spoke about the IPL. Did I hear that that's going to be played? Um, in the Middle East somewhere—is that correct? Did I hear? That?
3: Yeah, it's it's in the UAE in in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, wait and see what's happening there. But I think everyone at the moment is sort of—it's all a bit up in the air where everyone's going to end up this summer. I, I'd actually just like to get back to Western Australia to see my <laughs> family. That would be my main target at this point in time. But fingers crossed—we'll have to wait and see.
2: So if you were Commission, Neryli, you'd be voting for a grand final at uh, at Optus Stadium, no doubt, would you?
3: Mate, they're not even letting me back in, and I'm a born and bred West Australian. So why the hell should the rest of the AFL community get in?
0: So literally, you cannot go back there, even if you quarantine for two weeks. Being originally born there, I assume. So yeah,
3: yeah. I spent my first twenty four years of life living there, and I can't. I've applied for an exemption three times, and they won't let me back in
0: based on that they should not get the grand final how could you not let residents back into the the state but they're happy enough to if we can get the finals in what do they call him smirker smirking mcgowan he'll be um he'll be happy about that eh? so no i feel um, like i'm one
3: of the only people that's been spreaking wa over the last 10 years on the east coast too.
0: Man, yeah no okay hey look um um it's been fantastic uh thanks a lot again uh for us it's um, again we 're obviously older blokes and um, and that 's generally been sort of like the audience um, that we've we 've got to and we just wanted to get a different perspective so I really appreciated uh, you sharing some of your journey and some of the things that you 've done and um, um, spending some time with us today. so thank you very much for that.
3: Thank you very much for having me. The fact that you guys want to listen to me for an hour hopefully <laughs> says that we're getting somewhere as well. So that's awesome. I really appreciate it. Well, we'll,
0: we'll, flick, you, we'll flick you a link to the episode, uh, Nerly, and then, um, you've got a gazillion followers, so um, we might, we <laughs> oh might bump God. up our, our ratings, eh? We could be the, um, the, the, the best new talent when it comes to podcasts. Um, and I say that firmly, tongue in cheek. <laughs>
1: behind behind ordinary, the interviewers.
2: Behind ordinarily speaking, of course. Yeah, <laughs> sure.
3: Parents will be calling their kids Aaron before you know it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, not quite, yeah. My dad would be shocked if that happens, but anyway, we'll see how we go.
3: <laughs> thanks so much for having me, guys. You've been awesome. Thanks, thanks, thanks very much. Thanks, good on you.
0: Okay. Bye. 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 How good was that, guys? That was that look I know we were pumped up before we started the conversation uh, and it definitely lived up to our expectations. So it was fantastic to have Nerly, Nerly on board. Key takeaways, boys. What, what did you think, Shano? Oh, I think we heard that through
1: the, the tone and expression of her words today about uh, how just humanistic this person is and the way she actually interacts with her guests in her podcast. Um, it just um, came out in the conversation. Uh, that we have with her today, and I think uh, the fact that she's um, focused on on people and their development, and the fact that she's actually doing a course at the moment, mental health and counselling, just shows us a lot more about the individual and where she, what she wants to do achieve, I guess, and what impact she wants to have on people in general. And I think Narelle is just so
2: genuine and so um, authentic, and you know, just her sharing her ideas around just keep talking, just keep walking is. How she's getting through this time, and uh, if they were commentating that, I think the the line would have to be narrowly Meadows, you star.
0: Mm. Look, she was um she came across so passionately about everything. So, uh, and I just love hearing even right down to how she's talking about Frio and um, their recruits from ten years ago, and 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 feeling real now. And um, and your point, Shane, around the. The mental health thing. Like, um, I remember when I was doing some of the research, one of the questions I, I put down to myself was um, Has she actually done any formal training? Because the way she sounded in those interviews, particularly with Siddle and Dale Thomas, so empathetic, um, real care. And she made reference to this whole concept of listening to understand. and And that really comes across in the way. Um, she she carries out some of those interviews there but also I forgot to mention it yes um, I'm sorry in the in the in the in the actual interview itself but she also interviewed Zach Langdon uh, for that On Your Mark program and I think his partner had um, breast cancer and they just spoke about um, um, with the couple and she's just really uh, empathetic and reads the the people that she's interviewing really well. So it was fantastic. So I think it'd be great to... Oh, sorry, Troy, go. Oh, and
2: what a magnificent role model Neroly is for young women and men who, you know, want to make a difference. doesn't matter um, your background, but she's so passionate and just a good human being doing good things for uh, a number of people. So I just I genuinely, thoroughly enjoyed that. I really did.
1: And, and also, the, the, well, has she mentioned about the value of good mentors, and you know, her, her parents, obviously, and her mum being a psychologist, so she's learned a lot from, from her as such. But uh, the reference to Oprah, how much impact that you know, she's had on her as a young girl growing up and what Oprah's experienced over her lifetime, I think it's, you know, it resonates for, for, for us because you know, we've had mentors in, in our lives and continue to do so now that it is important for people to have those type of people to support them and guide them through life.
0: And Karen Ty was one of those as well, and and yes. I always remembered her doing the around the grounds for Sheffield Shield cricket on, on ABC Radio with Timmy Lane. So um, actually, that that brought back a few memories when um, when she mentioned her name as well. So great yeah. stuff. So look, obviously this episode's a little bit different to to uh, some of our other ones. So we won't we won't be doing any no more tweeters rubbish or anything like that um, in this special edition weekend edition. Um, being paid double time to do this one. Um, so we'll we'll really love to get the feedback from uh, from the audience once this gets um, up online so I'm really looking forward to to hearing that so thanks for making the time boys, it's been a big weekend in footy and um, it's been a big weekend having a chat to Neroli as well
1: Thanks boys and uh, look forward to doing it all again in a few days time uh, Great work uh, both of you guys uh, Turtle, special mention to you mate for so getting Neroli on uh, super effort, mate. and talk about something special that
0: was special. So congratulations. Well, good stuff, boys. Well done. See you, guys. Carry on. Bye. Enjoy. Bye.